0: This podcast is sponsored by the Global Connected Aircraft Summit, the only event dedicated to complete connected aircraft solutions. You'll gain a deeper understanding of global connectivity and have the opportunity to network with more than 300 airline and supplier attendees. For more information, visit gcasummit.com. That's gcasummit.com. And use promo code Airweek. that's A-I-R-W-E-E-K, to save $200 on registration. Okay, here's how it's supposed to work right now in the airline industry. If you're a U.S. carrier, you're doing really well. If you're a European low-cost carrier like Ryanair, Wizz Air, or EasyJet, you're doing really well. And if you're a European legacy carrier like Air France or Lufthansa, you're being hounded by too much competition and high labor costs and profits are low. It's simple, right? But then along comes IAG, the parent company of British Airways, Iberia, Aer Lingus, and Whaling. In its fourth quarter, IAG looked more like a U.S. carrier than Air France. In fact, the airline group posted a 12% operating profit margin, better than even the big three in the U.S. We're going to dig into IAG's results and find out how they managed to break all the rules. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is the unimpeachable Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. In addition to IAG, we'll talk about Aeromexico's currency challenges, Viva Aerobus's horrible results, and Qantas and Air New Zealand, two airlines at the height of their game. It's all coming up in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. We're talking about IAG's stellar fourth quarter and its great 2016 overall. For perspective, while Air France KLM had a 1% operating margin in Q4, IAG had a 12% margin. I don't want to dive too deeply into those numbers, but 1% means almost no profit at all, and 12% in the fourth quarter is really good. I know we've talked about how IAG has been able to separate itself somewhat, but even with that trend established, Seth, this was a bit of a surprise wasn't it
1: yeah I, look the the diversion between the, those two carriers continues back at last year for example uh air france had done a bit better two percent uh and iag had put up a nine percent so that, that widened considerably to as you said the 12 percent versus one percent uh, Lufthansa hasn't yet reported but uh you know, almost certainly won't report anything like what IAG reported, uh, if, if trends hold as, as they've been over the past year or so, uh, you know, probably somewhere in between the, uh, in between the two. So yeah, no as you said, good not only by the standards of a European legacy airline, but even compared uh, that quarter, at least, to the uh, to the U.S. carriers. And uh, you know, to put up those kinds of numbers as you get into the winter in Europe is very hard to do. Uh, so really impressive uh, by any standard, what IAG managed to achieve.
0: So for all of 2016, IAG posted an 11% operating margin. Breaking out the results for each airline, it went like this. Aer Lingus, 13%, BA, 13%, Iberia, 6%, and Vueling, 3%. The two numbers that jump out to me are Aer Lingus leading the way and Vueling lagging. Why is Vueling lagging? It's a European LCC. Shouldn't it be doing really well?
1: Yeah, it had a really rough operational, uh, spring and summer. Basically, it just couldn't fly the schedule. Um,
0: and so, uh,
1: yeah, so it actually lost money for a while there. Um, in fact, by the fourth quarter, which you know, generally you would expect to be more difficult than uh, those earlier quarters, uh, it had put up a, a 4% margin for the quarter. So uh, actually good, good in. Good uh, news going forward for the company as a whole is the fact that you know, look, whaling is probably not going to put up a three uh, percent annual margin again. So, if anything, that's uh, uh, all the bad news this year. Really, a tailwind for IAG to have put up those um, uh, extraordinary numbers overall, despite. Wailing, uncharacteristically actually dragging it down an airline that, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, the European LCC uh, was always uh, successful in its own right and has been successful uh, up until this year as as a part uh, of IHE. For perspective, by the way, Jason, you mentioned that 11% annual operating margin uh, for IHE. Uh, you know, we mentioned before their fourth quarter margin actually topped uh, the margins of, of the US big three. Uh, that 11% for the year, uh, compared with 15%. An American, uh, sixteen percent at Delta and fourteen percent at United. So all the U.S. carriers between fourteen and and sixteen percent. Uh, so on an annual basis, IAG uh, is still not quite as good as them. Uh, but but you know certainly even to be in that ballpark, uh, is is very good news. The margin that those U.S. carriers, of course, down in two thousand sixteen uh, compared to the uh, record setting numbers they had put up in two thousand fifteen.
0: And then Air Lingus, their most profitable unit. That acquisition seems to have worked out pretty well, when you say,
1: to say the least. Uh, yeah, an, an airline that uh, look no surprise had, had been doing reasonably well uh, prior to the acquisition, but yeah, uh, r- really uh, firing on all cylinders. Um, you know, had had done a. Good job restructuring itself before IAG bought it, so that that was that was nice. It's not like IAG had to go in there and, and uh, uh, you know do a lot of dirty work. Uh, yeah, you know, it was was an airline that was doing well, um, but then yeah, this seems to be one of his instances where they've they've really been able to harvest the synergies, uh, let it keep doing well what it had already been doing well, but you know make it a part of the group. Uh, obviously, be able to price it jointly with the others. You know, it's no longer a competitor, and and it had in fact been an important transatlantic competitor. Uh, you know, a lower cost competitor competing in a lot in a lot of important uh, uh origin and destination market uh, so yeah there it is uh, right right at the uh at the top of the group uh, the, the, the impressive not not surprising uh but iag has to be very heartened uh because you know not not all uh, mergers and acquisitions go well as, as anybody who knows the history of the airline industry well knows and and this one uh uh sure seems to have been one of those that has gone very very well
0: And now that IAG has everything working, it seems, they are not going to just rest on their laurels. They're planning to launch a low-cost, long-haul unit this summer. What are they thinking, and are they looking at Norwegian with any kind of envy?
1: Well, I don't know anybody would really envy the uh, margins that Norwegian's putting up. Um, uh, Yeah, going back to the uh, margins, let's see, the annual margin for last year was... Was what, uh, you know, 5% for Norwegian. The fourth quarter alone, uh, negative 9%. So, you know, IAG is doing better in Norwegian. But having said that, you know, it's, this is competing capacity in, in the marketplace. And, uh, you know, very much like, uh, Delta United and American and over in the US are saying, hey, we're not just going to let spirit. Allegiant Frontier do whatever they want. You know we're going to compete uh, for those passengers. Uh, you know that's basically what what IAG is is uh, is saying here. So um, you know they're you know they're not going to let Norwegian have it easy. So and this is an airline that at some point is going to have to prove that it can make money. Uh, and that's not going to become any easier with everybody else. You know, sort of doing some of the same stuff, putting more low cost, long haul capacity into the marketplace. You know, in terms of the wisdom of what IAG is doing. So from a defensive standpoint, you can absolutely understand it. And, and, and remember, you know, Norwegian is competing very directly uh, against IAG. I mean, it's flying from London to, uh, to to key markets across the Atlantic. We don't know exactly what IAG is going to do. We You know, we, we really only know that this is going to be some sort of low cost a long-haul unit uh, so will it be a, a separately branded airline I mean you know possibly but IAG is a company that within it if you look uh, you sort of drill down into IAG has uh, low-cost units that are from a from a passenger perspective uh, you know the passenger wouldn't even know that they're necessarily flying a low-cost unit I'm talking for example about Iberia Express uh, which is basically just Iberia with with uh, lower w- wage scales Um uh, so you know, will it be something like that? Will it be something like uh the Lufthansa, what's called the the jump initiative, where it's flies these A340s with the with the coral of tons of product uh just a denser configuration not a lot of business class seats um you know flown by uh lower paid pilots and all that but from a passenger perspective doesn't really look any different you know flying from frankfurt to tampa markets like that uh so will it be something more like that or will it be something more like Eurowings, where it's uh where it's very branded very differently uh you know we don't know the uh the details yet um but uh yeah this is uh, very much about norwegian not because they're jealous but because Norwegian exists and it's not going anywhere anytime soon, uh, you know, doing certainly just well enough to sustain itself. If if, if not to uh, set the world on fire in terms of profits, and uh, IAG is going to do its part to tell Norwegian,
0: hey, you're not going to uh, uh, win this battle without a fight. Given IAG's results, is there any rethinking to be done about Brexit? They've done nothing but win since the referendum this summer. And that sharp reduction to the pound doesn't even seem to be hurting them that much. How are they managing it? Well, yeah, no, I mean, look,
1: they're they're doing very well. I mean, I, I don't think there are very many um, serious people out there who think Brexit is 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 going to end up being a, a, a net. Good thing, you know. First of all, once you get one of these elections behind you, you always just sort of have. Um, uh, I mean, if you look at the U.S., there was you know a post-election bump, uh, so you get a certain amount of. I hate to use this word when talking about Brexit, but certainty. I mean, look, there's all kinds of uncertainty, right? But you know what's happening, uh, and so some people just kind of exhale because of that. And uh, there, you know there, there there's all kinds of talk out there that maybe. You, uh, for example, get a boost from, you know, because of Brexit, there's going to be all, uh, you know, who knows, there are going to be perhaps transactions going on. There are companies moving offices around, you know, in many cases getting out of the UK perhaps uh, to set up a, you know, a European headquarters. um, but anyway, all of this creates demand for travel <laughs> as people try to figure out what's uh, what's going on. Uh, demand for corporate travel, um, the, the 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 cheap pound, um, although harmful uh, for fuel cost in 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 sterling terms. Is, uh, you know, is helpful in terms of stimulating inbound tourism to the UK. I mean, it's, it's on sale, uh, from the perspective of everybody else. And, and by the way, is a company that, uh, uh, you know, is, is the, the, you know, a lot of what does operates, of course, outside, uh, uh, outside the UK, uh, the, the Iberia, and Voiling are all based outside the UK. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the, demand originates from outside the uk so you know it, it's diversified in in uh in that respect too uh you know we'll see here over the long term but um yeah i think i think uh you know certainly early uh to say that that brexit's not such a bad thing um but uh you know having said that you'd rather be doing as well as they're doing than not so that that is encouraging that at least uh, for now they're they're navigating well
0: One more question on IEG, and I want to go back to Norwegian for a second. We mentioned in Airline Weekly how bullish IEG is on the transatlantic market. Could Norwegian's big announcement about flying narrow bodies across the Atlantic change IEG's outlook? Uh,
1: I mean, everybody saw this coming and you're talking, Jason, about how, how, uh, the, they, um, Norwegian are planning to fly from, uh, Hartford and, and, uh, Providence, Rhode Island and, and, uh, Newburgh, New York, uh, north of New York City to, um, to various points in, in the British Isles to, to, uh, Shannon, Dublin, Belfast, uh, the Cork, Edinburgh. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, everybody knew this was coming. And uh, no, I mean, you know, they're very much just nibbling at the margins with all of that. Um, and, and you know, it's it's uh, uh, you know, some of that flying might be more of a problem for Norwegian than, than for its competitors. We'll see how it does. Um, but like with everything, look, if it if it works out well enough that there's more to come, uh, then that would indeed be competing capacity uh, that would impact IAG and and uh, and everybody else. So uh, yeah, right now uh, you know we'll, we'll just have to see how they do with that, um, and, I, and, and and that's the biggest question of all. But yeah, no, I mean it, it's it's uh, it's a marketplace that in some respects a few years ago had consolidated into these big joint ventures. IAG, of course, uh, part of one of those big joint ventures. But you have all this now uh, new low cost capacity, including the the uh, these narrow body flights on 737 maxes uh they're going to be going all the way across the atlantic you have of course narrow bodies flying from iceland to various points uh and you know you've had some other smaller scale uh operations with you know 737 you know west jet from points in eastern canada and so forth but yeah here you're gonna have uh uh you know true transatlantic non-757 uh narrow body flying between the uh, eastern seaboard of the u.s and uh and europe and it might only be the beginning because you know JetBlue might be taking a 321 uh neo lrs so the long-range versions and so forth so uh uh you know it's possible not all of it'll work but um you know i think to one degree or another at least this is a harbinger of things to come and yeah that'll that'll impact everybody work, uh, who's flying in that market
0: Let's take a moment to thank today's sponsor, the Global Connected Aircraft Summit. Learn more at GCASummit.com. Airlines around the world are doing pretty well, and Australia is no exception. In fact, Qantas is doing nearly the best it's ever done. Calendar year 2016 was the second best ever for the Australian carrier, topped only by the best ever performance in 2015.
1: Yeah, and so uh, very much in, in that regard, like the U.S. carriers, um, who also, generally speaking, a lot of them had their uh, their their second best year ever in in, in 2016. Qantas, you know, did that uh, despite a lot of challenges. I mean, for one thing, Australia's economy uh, has been uh, has been pressured. I mean, it, the economy shrunk in in uh, you know in. in the third quarter, for example, it, it, it's, it's a resource-rich economy. So the falling commodity prices, uh, you know, albeit now having bounced off their lows, uh, really impacted, um, you know, mining operations in, in Western Australia and so forth. And, and Qantas uh, wasn't immune, but um, but fortunately that you know some of that uh, has even been bouncing back. Um, and the airline, you know, just reallocated capacity and did the things that it needed to do to stay in reasonably good shape. Now. Qantas is still getting a, a a fuel cost tailwind actually um one of those carriers that between you know when you add it all up between you know currency and bad hedges wearing off and all of that uh its fuel cost actually fell and that that was important uh in terms of keeping its its uh profits aloft but um yeah it's it's uh a lot has gone well there don't forget by the way we were talking a minute ago about uh a uh, low cost long haul and you, know, you could you could sort of broaden that to just the idea of setting up a low cost airline within an airline which is um w- which is always a risky venture we've covered that in the past just the, the, all the examples throughout history uh when that hasn't worked uh hard to think of the times when it has worked in fact but one of the very successful few successful examples in the world is Jetstar within Qantas and uh uh, sure enough, uh, Jetstar um, uh, put up a fifteen percent margin. So um, uh, that continues to go very, very well uh, as it has nearly from the outset for uh, for Australia. Still, very much the gold standard of a of, of a low cost unit within a, a legacy airline company.
0: Seth, you mentioned the positive momentum they felt late in the year. Are they bullish on two thousand seventeen as well? Yeah, uh, you know they, they use the word fantastic
1: to uh to describe uh the the beginning of the year so that's that's uh, obviously encouraging uh a lot's going well for them they you know they said uh Japan is doing better than ever uh, for them. The Dreamliners really seem to be helping uh, uh, with them. You know, that's you could just imagine that's that's the kind of aircraft, um, very helpful for uh, for airlines uh, like Qantas, where um, you know it has the range, uh, you know, just a reasonable number of seats to fill. Uh, so yeah, um, uh, even Singapore, where competition is tough, uh, they say is going rather well. They named Vietnam as a market that's a little bit tougher. Uh, th- those all for 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 Jetstar, I should say, in terms of the longer haul markets. Uh, for mainline, uh, long haul, tougher, but still, you know, a. a Seven percent margin is what uh, is, is what Quan is put up for mainline long haul. So for for a challenged business to be putting up seven percent, challenged part of the business, I should say, uh, is um is 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 obviously uh, a good thing. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of capacity uh, growth uh, in a lot of markets, a lot of capacity growth to the U.S. Air New Zealand is competing for a lot of the same traffic, trying to lure people through Auckland to connect um you know American Airlines uh still not a joint venture partner um is, you know has been growing as well so um you know all of that growth obviously uh impacts Qantas but overall um a, a lot more going right than wrong
0: will we see a revenue share between American and Qantas
1: ask the usdot now under uh, under President Trump instead of President Obama one of the last things that happened while President Obama was still in office was that uh that D O T rejected the uh the proposed the joint venture between American and Qantas and uh uh you know they've said they're reapplying under a new administration and um if uh if if that goes better than the phone call between um between Trump and the and uh and uh Australia's Prime Minister then um uh then I suppose anything's possible.
0: How could it not go better than that phone call? <laughs> Um, okay this is a bit of a ponderous question and if you don't understand that I could try to explain it but i'm just gonna ask it what does virgin australia mean to qantas nowadays well
1: it it's i mean it's the other it's the other airline there you know and and um uh it's it's an important competitor it's it's uh um you know, it's another quality product in the marketplace from uh, from a customer perspective. Uh, and and sometimes a desperate competitor can be more nettlesome than a, than a strong competitor. You know, sometimes when an airline's in trouble and it's, uh, you know, just kind of... Uh, and I mean, we're not talking about an airline that's on the brink of insolvency or anything, but, uh, uh, you know, just sort of pricing for cash, trying to get just cash in the door as opposed to uh, being able to Think uh, longer term. That's uh, you know that's that's uh, not necessarily a good thing. So uh, Qantas is of course happy to be much stronger than the Virgin Australia is. Uh, it, it likes rational competition, and uh, Virgin Australia you know clearly sees that it needs to uh, to to reform itself, and it, you know it's been taking a lot of measures to uh, to do so. Uh, but you know I guess the bottom line is there's always going to be another big airline in Australia. Uh, it used to be Ansett, um, then it. Became Virgin Blue, now Virgin Australia, and, uh, you know, uh, Qantas would, would, would rather be in its situation than in its, uh, competitors, uh, situation, at, you know, especially when you, when you talk about long haul flying. I, mean, I mentioned, um, you know, had that, uh, mainline long haul flying is, is one of the tougher things Qantas does, but, uh, you know, that, that's generally been really a disaster for Virgin Australia, which of course, uh, is still in the situation where it's the airline is not entirely optimized for, um, just making money in, in its own right. You know, it's always sort of having to think about what it's, uh, what its owners who
0: have their own strategic interests, uh, want it to do as well. And then there's Air New Zealand, who we always sort of admire for overcoming tough geography. And overcome it, they did. They had a record calendar year in 2016, 14% operating margin.
1: Yeah, really impressive. Uh, you know, an, an airline that, as you said, um, you know, it's it's not blessed with uh, with the best geography in terms of capturing global traffic flows or any of that. But it's just just been a real innovator um, in a lot of ways over over the years. Um, uh, you know, when you think of uh, fair families, you know, just sort of the way it markets itself. When you think of uh, you know a premium economy product, uh, you know, one of the earlier. Long haul premium economy products out there. Um, the, the sky couches, uh, uh, the, you know, where you, people can, can, uh, uh, can book three, three seats across an economy and, uh, and, and on and on. Um, you know, so, so they've done a lot with, uh, with, with product and with marketing, but they've done a lot with their network too. You know, now entering into a joint venture with uh, with United, you know, they've they've looked they've benefited. Also, I mentioned the Dreamliners for uh, for Qantas, um, you know, Air New Zealand has nine uh, of the of the dash nine versions. Um, it's, it's last 767 actually is is, uh, is leaving the fleet uh, here next month. So that, too, you know, finally really has uh, helpful aircraft. It um it, it's it's doing well uh that that 14 percent operating margin by the way uh was just fractionally lower than uh than last year uh, which had also rounded to fourteen uh, percent so um yeah so doing uh doing very they get, very
0: they get uh, points sorry. for consistent they get points for consistency.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I should say, excuse me, just to clarify what I just said. Okay, so the annual operating margin, as you mentioned, was 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 the record. That the second half was also. I just confused myself. The second half, as well, was fourteen percent. In that case, just fractionally lower than the uh, than the second half uh a, a year earlier not always easy jason to uh <laughs> too. i've got all my spreadsheets open as i as i talk and uh synthesize everything as i'm speaking but uh but anyway so uh yeah 14 percent for the year 14 percent for the half for a year was a record for the half uh the second half it reports just on a semi-annual basis uh just fractionally lower than it had been a year earlier
0: appreciate the accuracy all right, let's switch hemispheres in more ways than one. We'll go to the northern hemisphere as well as the western hemisphere. Aeromexico reported fourth quarter results, and on the service at least, they were uh, surprisingly good. Their seven percent operating margin matched Valaris's seven percent for the quarter. Has Aeromexico closed the gap on Valaris, and how is Aeromexico dealing with the weak peso? Well, I, I guess, uh, strictly speaking, if they're
1: both at 7%, they have closed the gap, right? But Volaris uh, slipped considerably. Um, you know, that, that uh, 7% from them was down from uh, – I had it here open a minute ago – down from uh, you know, 14% a year earlier, whereas Aeromexico also slipped. Uh, but in their case, just from eight percent to seven percent, which which is really an impressive performance given what, what you just mentioned, Jason. The uh, the weak peso. Uh, you know, it it is hard to have uh, as an airline your home currency decline by twenty percent year over year, which is what happened for the peso, uh, for the fourth quarter. Just this past year compared to the year earlier and, and not have it impact your earnings. As I said, it impacted Air Mexico, but, uh, you know, add it all up and they really didn't decline much at all. Impressive, uh, you know, because we're talking about an airline, you know, feeling pressure from fuel costs you know other airlines we mentioned before uh you know an airline like like uh Qantas or 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 a company like iag still getting the benefit of cheaper fuel um you know in Aeromexico's mexico's case uh in in terms of its own local currency anyway fuel uh costs actually going up already uh significantly but aero mexico is uh fortunate that it does get a lot of its revenues in other currencies, especially in those strong U.S. dollars. Uh, and and so that helps a lot. Uh, you know, people buying tickets to travel to Mexico from the U.S., Paying in a strong currency, you yeah, know, and and talked about this before with with IAG, you know, there you do get the benefit at least um, that your country is is competitive as a tourist destination. Uh, you know, sure enough, uh, Cancun, which which had been a strong uh, market anyway, you know, became even more affordable, and then the place has really just been booming. Um, so uh, so yeah, you know, uh, that that helped. Um, as well. So it's an airline, you know, a little bit lucky, a little bit good, uh, you know, well, well managed airline, uh, now increasingly in Delta's fold, which, which never seems to be a bad thing for, uh, for airlines when you look around the world at others where uh, Delta has, uh you know, has owns equity and has a strategic uh partnership uh, you know Virgin Atlantic most prominently but uh you know goal uh, d- d- as well it's it's uh, generally a good thing and uh, Delta now owns nearly half of Aero Mexico
0: underscoring Aero success is Viva Aerobus's lack of success they seem to be having much more trouble with the situation down there their fourth quarter operating margin was a negative two percent. That's bad, but it gets worse. That was down from a positive 17% the year before. Are things as dire as that sounds? Well, that was
1: the biggest decline uh, of, of any airline around the world. Um, so, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it was an awful quarter. Um, you know, they, they – I mentioned Aeromexico getting a lot of revenue in foreign currency. Well, guess what? Viva is – Primarily domestic, and uh, so so there you go. So they get all of the negative impact uh, on their cost base uh, of of the weak peso, uh, fuel, uh, but and it's not just fuel, Jason. You know, aircraft leases almost always priced in U.S. dollars. So uh, you know they suffer from all that, but without the offsetting benefit uh, of of dollar revenue. Uh, You know, without the offsetting benefit of uh, uh, of having the the uh, you know competitive tourist destination because if you're not flying that much abroad you know you're you're not filling your plane with um uh, with that kind of traffic and then they tend to be more of a sort of family visit market kind of an airline uh, anyway so uh, so yeah suffering uh, suffering for sure um, uh, by the way uh, on, on on the year we've been talking about the uh, the fourth quarter um, on the year Viva still managed to put up um, an eleven percent. Uh, operating margin for the year perfectly respectable actually it's just a uh, percentage points shy uh, of Valaris, um which round theirs would round to 12 percent uh aero mexico at seven percent for the year so looking at all of 2016 um you know aero mexico is the laggard among those three we don't yet have interjets numbers by the way interjet the other uh major airline in Mexico. Um but but yeah, um you, you know in terms of the trends, um you have to like what you're seeing at AeroMexico. To be concerned about uh Velaris's fourth quarter and you have to be really concerned um about Viva uh notwithstanding the fact that it's been a rather successful airline and it's you know it's one it's, it's the ultra LCC model which is, has has been um uh rather successful. Around the world, I, uh, you know, more often than not.
0: I read in Airline Weekly that the Mexican economy isn't growing all that fast, but the airlines continue to add capacity. Could that become a problem?
1: Sure, I, you know, it. it uh, you know, airline demand always correlates with with uh, economic growth, um, and uh, so so yeah, uh, you know, typically when you have uh, an economy that's not growing and airlines that are growing, uh, that's going to put downward pressure on unit revenues. Now, um, you know. Falling unit revenues can be okay if unit costs are also falling. Uh, you know, we saw that for for much of the past two years, really in in the U.S. You know, for a while, unit revenues were uh, or were, were declining significantly, but but profits were rising because unit costs were declining even more rapidly than uh, the unit revenues. That of course has has um, you know gone into reverse uh, somewhat in the U.S., but uh, you know, but still uh, solid economic growth. Uh, and and now airlines because. They're not growing much. Uh, have managed to get their hands around the uh, falling unit revenues. Those unit revenues now stabilizing in the U.S. So in Mexico, uh, you have the situation where uh, you know the, the the economy is is threatened, um, and where costs you know kind of related to the threatened economy because of the currency issues. Costs are actually rising, uh, and, and in that kind of situation, um, you know something has to give. Uh, you know the, the airlines that aren't as U.S. exposed um, are, uh, you know, they have been expanding internationally. Uh, I'm talking about Viva, I'm talking about Interjet. Um, but the problem is, gosh, that that's really uh, kind of a double-edged sword right now, right? Because uh, when you see... What's happening between the U.S. and Mexico, uh, between the relations between those countries. So in the short term, yeah, right now you just would, you'd want to get more U.S. dollar revenue, uh, and expose yourself to, uh, to, to tourism, uh, with, with Mexico being rather attractive right now. Uh, but in the long term, uh, you know, who knows what's going to be happening here? Um, and so it's, uh, you know, yeah, um, the, to your point you know perhaps hard to justify uh a whole lot of growth right now w- without um you know seeing some some sign that things are going to improve uh on either of those counts the economy which you mentioned or just sort of uh you know relations between the countries which at some point you would have to think is is going to have an impact on airline demand and and, and in fact there was commentary from uh uh, uh from one of the airlines that yeah northbound travel uh, is impacted, you know, so Americans still feel fine, uh, going to Mexico, but, um, you know, but, but Mexicans, because of everything that's happening, uh, maybe a little more skittish about going to the U.S.
0: All this talk about Mexico has me thinking about tequila. So I think we should wrap the show right there before things get out of hand. Maybe we could find some limes. This concludes episode 67 of our podcast, which you can find on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Airline Weekly website. We'll be back next week with another sit down in the airline weekly lounge. This podcast has been sponsored by the Global Connected Aircraft Summit. Visit GCASummit.com.
1: Cheers, Jason.
0: Thanks. I'll bring the limes.